Welcome to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. I'm Darcy Staniforth. I'm an American Studies scholar and lecturer, but I also love to explore the paranormal. On this podcast, we explore the paranormal, the occult, the strange, and the unknown as we try to decode the mysteries around these topics. Today on the Mysteries Decoded podcast, we're decoding UFOs and Area 51 with UFO fanatic Travis Clark and paranormal investigators John E.L. Tenney and Ryan Sprague. I sat down with these three guests and had some fascinating conversation. Are they alien aliens or little green men? Today's first guest is Travis Clark. Travis is a comedian and a podcaster. We sat down and talked of his love of UFOs and some of the more involved belief systems in the UFO world. Welcome to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. Today, our guest is Travis Clark, podcaster, podcast producer, but most importantly, he is here to help us decode aliens in Area 51 because Travis has had a long fascination with aliens, Area 51, and all things in the UFO world. Welcome, Travis. Hello. Thank you. Hi. <laughs> So long history with alien fascination. Yeah. Where does this begin for you? I mean, it goes back to when I was five. Like I grew up in the time where I think Star Wars is the first movie I went to. Sure. So uh, space was suddenly like the coolest thing in the world to me. I had a photo of Ed White, the one of the astronauts who did a spacewalk over my bed as a kid. That's amazing. Loved space. Loved it to death. But then I found out that not everything in space is maybe good, you know, like sometimes there's bad guys in space. And I remember thinking I saw a UFO as a little kid. Okay, talk to us about that story. Was it one light? Was it many lights? Was well, it was during the day, which is a weird one, because not okay. a lot of people, most people see UFOs at night. Sure. Because they have the big lights and whatever. And I've definitely seen weird lights at night that you're like, oh, no, I figured out what that is. This was a thing that was like made no sense. It was blue sky midday. Okay. There was this black orb in the middle of the sky and it was doing those like like things that helicopters and planes, and planes don't, don't do. do. You right. know, like it's darting to one side, darting to another, darting to another and moving really quickly. And I guess maybe now in like 2019, if you saw that, you'd be like, oh, maybe somebody's flying a drone. This is sure. 81, 82 at best. This thing is darting around, and I'm watching it. I'm watching it on the balcony of the apartment I lived in with my parents. And I'm like, I don't know, seven at the time. And I see this thing, and I remember wanting to tell my parents, but I also didn't want to, because it was daytime and because it was a black dot, I didn't want to look away from it and then sure. not be able to find it again. Absolutely. So I'm watching it dart around, and it got a little bigger for a little bit. Like, not huge, but like, let's say it started off the size of like an eraser you know, okay. this guy, it got to like the size of a quarter. Oh, wow. And it's, I, I can see it. And that's when I'm like, I got to tell my mom and dad about this. Then there's a white flash and it's gone. And that's the only time I ever saw it. Never saw it again. Never saw it before. It was strange to me because it was round. It was, it was per, like, but, but not round, like, like the underside of a disc, like round, like it looked like it was a black globe. Okay. In the sky. And how long, like... How long do you think that this lasted for? Not terribly long, maybe a minute or two. Okay. Enough that I was like transfixed on it, enough that I was like little little me who'd been raised, right? Like tell an adult, you know, like I wanted to tell an adult, but I also wanted to watch it. I wanted sure. to know more about it. 
And then when I, when it flashed white and went away, that's when I went to tell my parents, I was like, I just saw this thing and it was going around. And they're like, it was a helicopter. You didn't see. I was like, no, it was a UFO. It was definitely a UFO. That's what I saw. Because you knew even as a kid, like helicopters move one way right. and airplanes move one way. And I'd seen a helicopter before. I know when you, when a helicopter's there, you hear the, there was yeah. none of silent, dead silent. So quiet, yeah. black globe darting back and forth, flash of white light. Gone. Gone. And then nightmares for three years. So it's fine. It's fine. I'm fine. I'm fine. Sure. But, and I've never told anybody this, my dad claims to have talked to a little alien man when he was a little boy. What? Named King Adon. And King, King Adon, Adon. King Adon would show up and tell him stories when he was a young man. So then when I found this out, I was like, are the aliens obsessed with my family? <laughs> like, can they just <laughs> not get enough of us and they want to come check us out? Has your dad ever told you stories no, he said he was a little king, though, which I thought was very strange. Like, because when we think of aliens, they don't, they're not regal. He said this right. was a tiny king that came out of a little ship and talked to him. My dad was also on an episode of, of Unsolved Solved Mysteries, Mysteries talking about the ghosts of the comedy store. So my dad touches all the areas. You know, he's, <laughs> he's got his fingers in all the pies. But I also love that your dad's like, yeah, a tiny king came out of a ship and talked to me. That wasn't a UFO. Right, exactly. <laughs> Because when he told me that later, I'm like, we, when I told you I saw a UFO, you dismissed me. When you told me you talked to a little king man, I was like, tell me more. Right. <laughs> so shortly after I saw that UFO thing, I started having those weird dreams of like, I'm running down a hallway and I'm running from this alien. I'm running from it. It feels like it was like every night for a okay. long time. Like it okay. wasn't like an isolated thing. Like, you know, when people have reoccurring dreams, this was my reoccurring dream for like, it felt like two or three years. So can you kind of paint, I know it's been a while, sure. but can you paint a picture of what that was? Like how tall were the aliens? What were the surroundings? What did it feel like to you? So it really felt like I wasn't supposed to be there. Okay. So I was inside of a very almost hospital-like place, but like if Apple made a hospital, you know, okay. like just yeah. very... Very well designed. Very well designed. Yeah. Futuristic. Futuristic okay. and sparse. Okay. The aliens are child height. They were no taller than me. They okay. were the same height as me. And there were at least three of them that I would see. Okay. Because they were chasing me through this hallway. And the hallway was very kind of almost aluminum or maybe even stainless steel, but that like kind of... Um, it's not high polished, you know, it's that it's satin like finish. Brushed, yeah, kind brushed, of, yes, yeah, okay. brushed. That's the word I was looking for. This brushed kind of thing. And I, it's almost like coming into watching a movie during a main action sequence. Where okay. like, I don't know what happened before, but I know I'm in a chase scene. And I know that I'm running. And I know that I'm running from these things. And these things are not very fast, but can seemingly always be next to me. Always okay. come very close to me. And whenever I would come down a hallway, another one would peek down, like lean his head out. And he had those big almond yeah. black eyes that we all know it, what a gray alien looks like. But that's just before I knew what those looked like. Right. These were just- Like the, you had never seen gray. I've never before. seen one of those before. Or if I had, I mean, look, maybe I had, but it hadn't made an impression consciously. Sure. Subconsciously, this thing was the boogeyman. It was there every night trying to- and if what, what I can remember feeling was that it wanted to operate on me. It wanted to cut me open. Okay. And it wanted to 
mess with me. Now, I have a lot of back problems, and I have ever since I was a kid, and they're kind of unexplained back problems. Like, there's nothing wrong with me. I wasn't in an accident. Like, and oddly, I remember reading a lot of stuff. It's like, well, back problems are like a common thing for, for abductees. Uh, yeah, I feel like I read that at some point. Okay, or maybe I'm retconning that into my own story <laughs> to explain my back problems. But I do remember just being scared, and I remember. As a teenager, I was my first girlfriend. I, I remember sitting down with her and I said, I have to tell you something. I have to tell you this thing and it's weird. And uh, I had these dreams as a kid and I believed that I was taken by these little gray creatures. They're actually not that gray. They're almost yellowish in person. They're okay. more yellowish gray. Like they have a slight yellow tinge to them and they smell funny. They smell musty. Okay. And their skin is very waxy but I like like mushy and 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 porous. Okay. And uh like almost like one of those like like squishy toys. Similar to in terms of like like have you ever held a snake? Yeah. Like that, but like with pores. Like okay. when snakes had pores. Okay. It felt like that. And like that that weird muscly kind of thing. But sure. but just weird. And I remember telling this girl and I remember just bawling. I remember just just becoming terrified and telling her this is what I remember having these dreams about, and it, it felt so real. And it, and I said, if there's anything that is truly evil in the world, it's these things because they're not coming here to be nice. They're not coming here to study us. They enjoy inflicting pain on us. That's a, that's a yeah. lot. Yeah. We learned they were abducting humans to gather intel about us. So how did those dreams, like, end? Like, in, in each dream... Did, was it just like you woke up while they're still chasing you or did yeah, it like, it was, did they get you and you woke up? Yeah. They would always kind of get me and it would do that. Like, I guess if we were, ma if we were you know making the video of it, it would just have that like dip to white kind of thing where everything just goes to white. And yeah. then it's like, I wake up and I'm like, <gasps> and that was, and it was, it was always the same dream that and it was always like that. And at what point did that dream end? By the time I was like in my early teen years, like 13, 14, I didn't have it anymore. I was obsessed with aliens by then. Sure. But I wasn't, uh, I didn't have that dream anymore. And I used to have this image of three of them looking over me with what looked like operating lights okay. coming down and their heads, just the faintest shadow of their heads looking over from the operating lights. And, and you never had surgeries as a kid? As a kid? No, I didn't have my first surgery until my wisdom teeth came out. Oh, wow. When I was 18. So, and again, like, yeah. it's nothing that could have, like, I mean, maybe something, but it's not like, oh, I had an operation as a kid right. and I, like, in my brain. Right. Like, this is just something that you were just dreaming on, like, every night every, for years. With, I mean, I, that's how I remember it. Yeah, yeah. It may not have been every night, but it was definitely reoccurring for several years. And it, it was, <laughs> you know, I'd already told my parents I thought I'd saw a UFO and they dismissed it. So anytime I felt like I tried to explain this dream to them, they're like, ah, it's just a nightmare. Yeah, they didn't. You know, they didn't, you know, because like one time I told them I had a nightmare about Freddy Krueger. And they're like, ah, just uh, imagine you have a sword and you can kill Freddy Krueger. And I'm like, that's not how my dreams work. <laughs> I, I'm, I'm not. not a, <laughs> I am not a lucid dreamer where I can just pull a sword out of yeah. anywhere. Also, I'm eight years old. Stop trying to make me be the dream warrior. It's not my thing. <laughs> but the, I mean, that's fascinating, though. 
Because that that is, I mean, that and that is something that not just like, oh, I had this dream for years, right. but created such an emotional response and a belief in you. Yeah, and made me become obsessed with sci-fi and sci-fi stories. Like, that's why it's still my favorite genre of things. Because whatever that was, I don't know, maybe I'm, maybe, maybe the whole reason I, I become so obsessed with the idea of aliens and the idea of where aliens are is to resolve this fear from my childhood to try and figure out what, what was that? So all throughout my grade school and junior high years, I was always like wanting to write reports on UFOs and wanting to write. And teachers were always like, yeah, no, you're supposed to write a report on Lincoln. And I'm like, right. <laughs> hear me out. <laughs> Just hear me out what on this. If? I'm going to connect these two for sure. So I became enthralled with the stories that people tell about aliens. I find it to be modern myths, for lack of a better analogy. Sure. So when I got the opportunity to start looking at stuff and researching stuff, I was obsessed with Area 51 from the second I was told I wasn't supposed to know what it is. Of course. Yeah. Like, it's just like, don't touch that. It's hot. Well, then I need to touch it. <laughs> I touch yeah, that. I want to make sure I get burned real good. <laughs> For a long time, Area 51 didn't exist. You know, it, it wasn't even something that the government acknowledged as a place that was real. Right. It wouldn't show up on any maps, anything like that. And people were like, that that doesn't, the government was saying it didn't exist. They would say we cannot confirm or deny the existence of an area called Area 51 mm. until they basically burned all of these chemicals there and got people super sick and people sued the government and they had to admit that it's a real place. So then now they do admit that it's a place you can go on. I would suggest anybody listening right now, go and look at the Groom Lake bed on Google Maps. You can look at Area 51. I do it every week. <laughs> every week <laughs> I go, I zoom in on buildings. I'm like, oh, they don't, they move the plane over there. That's not there. There's flights that go there called uh, Janet flights. That's how you get to Area 51 is you if, take. If you work there? If you work there, okay. you take a Janet flight. And Why is it called a Janet oh, flight? Funny that you should ask. Mm. Janet is supposedly the daughter of the man who set up the flights. Okay. So that's the story that they say. However, and I have talked to air traffic controllers in Las Vegas, they claim that Janet stands for just another non-existent terminal. Because oh. they Janet flights, whether you're coming from Berlin, Germany, or you're coming from Las Vegas, they're all Janet flights. So anything going into Area 51 is a Janet flight. And it's an unmarked plane. It's got a little red stripe on the side, a little red tail fin. And that's it. doesn't say anything else on it. I want to fly on a Janet flight so bad. <laughs> I want to go on a Janet flight so bad. Uh, I used to do stand-up comedy a lot. And when I would do stand-up comedy in Las Vegas, uh, we would have shows at 7.30 p.m. and 9.30 p.m. Sometimes we'd even have a third late show. I can't remember. But to go to Area 51 from Las Vegas is about a three-hour drive. Okay. So you remember there was that big thing where, like, go see them aliens, that whole big thing that everyone said they were going to go do? Oh, like they were right. all going to storm yeah, Area 51? Right. Absolutely. And I was like, you can't take an Uber to Area 51. <laughs> it's super far away. <laughs> You're not going to be able to go there. But, Area 51, storming yeah. Area 51 is not the new Burning Man no. of that part. You even get to the gates of Area 51. Area 51 is still a few miles away. Right, because yeah. the gate is at one end of a dirt road. Well, there's two gates. There's a front gate and a back gate. Front yeah. gate and the back gate. But from what I've seen, it's still a long path and it's all monitored. Like oh, they, for sure. They see you coming before you even hit that gate. Absolutely. So I have driven to the gates of Area 51 twice now. 
once by myself and once with my wife because I'm romantic. Uh, <laughs> because, look, if marriage, if I've learned nothing else about how to make a, a marriage work is make your weird someone else's weird and then you can be weird together. Sure. So we we drove out to Area 51. Don't know why I decided to do this, but I had marital relations in front of the gate at Area 51 because <laughs> I was there. Hey. So to point out what you said earlier, yes, they can see you coming way before you get there. Um, <laughs> and so what do you think about the idea that we've decommissioned like space travel, really? Because well, right now space travel is trying to be privatized. It. Yeah, yeah. Well, the whole idea that we stuck to low Earth orbit, there's conspiracy theories around that, that we're not – that there's a space treaty and we're not allowed to go past a certain point. And that's why we don't do it. And that's why we haven't gone back to the moon and why we haven't gone past low Earth orbit for like 30 years now. We have to back up for a second and talk about a space treaty. So, oh, sure, 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 sure. So, so aliens— I did kind of just low, gloss yeah, past that. Like, I get you. We have yeah. a space treaty. That's why we haven't done it. Right. So talk more about the space treaty because if we have a space treaty, that means there's aliens and the government is clearly covering something. Or who's covering that up if the government can't cover that up? We have a know. space treaty. I mean, there's there's a lot of—and I love these stories, and, I, and I, I go back and forth on how much I believe them. So the idea that there is a space treaty is involved around the idea that the nations of the Earth and the nations of space have agreed you're not ready to go past a certain area, that you're still a very fledgling— young species and this isn't for you yet. You guys can hang out around your planet. You guys can go to your moon until we say you can't, but don't go any further. It explains it. Why we don't go anywhere. Space treaties have to be true. Sure. Yeah. If there's a space treaty, is there also an ocean treaty? Because like, like, uh, like people, like one of the things oh, that there's a the, big argument oh, of yeah, like, yeah, we yeah. should be discovering the oceans more than space because there's life to be discovered, all these things. Uh, Is there an ocean I'll leave treaty? the oceans to James Cameron. He can he can figure it out. I just need one day of not talking about or thinking about or drinking about aliens. So let's have some. I mean, this has been obviously fun. But I, let's, I've had a blast. Let's chat about some of the things that I'd want to know. So if you mm. did have a chance to hang out with an alien, of the sci-fi aliens that are out there. What sci-fi alien are you hanging out oh, with? Oh, interesting. So all of the aliens that we've seen in stories, so not not the ones that we talk about that have, quote unquote, visited Earth, like the ones from the movies and the TV shows. You can have one of each. Oh, I can have one of yes. each. Yes. How about the aliens for that one, we- one, I'm, I'm talking to a gray for sure right off the bat and be like, did you guys mess with me when I was a kid or did I just have weird dreams? Talk to me about that space hallway. You're going down a hallway. Describe to me what it looks like. That's the space hallway. I know you've messed and with me. And if you said you messed with me, I'm snapping some gray necks. No problem. Because I'm much bigger than you now. Not a kid anymore. Snapping the gray neck. <laughs> if I could hang out with an alien from... Uh, 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 boy, that's a good question. And there's it's it's... My first thought, if I'm just going to go with my initial thought, is I'm going to go, I'm going to say what seven-year-old Travis would say, I'd want to hang out with Chewbacca. I would just want to, right? because I, I love my dog, and Chewbacca's just the best dog. He's a space dog who takes you on adventures, so I'd want to hang out with him. And he can battle for you, right? Yeah, and he's, he knows how to use yeah, weapons. And he's, yeah, he's got a bandolier, and he's, don't mess with him. So, all right, Chewbacca and a gray. And a gray. Because then Chewbacca can help you snap some gray necks. No, I can handle my own gray necks, no problem. 
I like the idea that like this is your level of toughness. We're like that guy. I'm not gonna fight that guy. If it were two grays, I could snap their necks. Snapping those They're necks. Wispy. There's too wispy. All right. So, of the spaceships we think have touched oh, Earth, boy, and our sci-fi spaceships. What spaceships would you like to travel on? Well, look, I went and camped at Roswell for a reason. Sure. So I got to go on the Roswell ship. And I yeah. gotta check it out. Flying I gotta saucer. see what it's like, how cramped it is. It's just a weather yeah. balloon, Trap. Well, yeah. Okay. <laughs> okay, Darcy. It's just a weather balloon. But you know, I thought you were open. I thought you were open to some ideas. <laughs> and if I'm gonna go on a spaceship that we know from the I'm flying my own X-Wing. I'm gonna I'm gonna okay. I'm going with nobody else, just me, just speeding through space. Not the Millennium Falcon nah, and no? Nah, nah, no. Nah, nah. I feel like that's too on the nose with the Chewbacca thing. I got to go a little sure, different. Sure, okay. Yeah. You're on X-Wing, though. Yeah. That's uh, good. Yeah. What droid do you have in that R2-D2. X-Wing? R2-D2. He's my buddy. Okay. Yeah. All right. Going with R2. R2-D2 is awesome. He's a Swiss army knife that talks to you. He's amazing. That's He's my- <laughs> I've never thought about yeah, R2 like that. totally what he is. You've opened my eyes to Thank a lot you. of things today. I'm glad I could help. That is so cute. You guys are just going to get together and go fight some aliens. I have to ask you a fan question. A couple oh, fan questions, all right. right? KU Angel asks, do you think aliens look more like humans or more like what people have always imagined? I think a true alien would be so foreign from, it wouldn't look anything like us. It would just look like a, it'd be a color blob. It'd be like an H.P. Lovecraft story, just like a color that falls to earth. Because you think we can't handle actually seeing that or? I just think it it's for something to be alien, it has to be not like us. And we uh. have things on planet, like you look at a lobster, that's a terrifying space monster. Like sure. that's a that's a crazy looking animal. But we've made a lobster, that's happened. So an alien would have to be different. Like really yeah. horrifying. Yeah. So if there are aliens among us. Oh, I'm sure there are shapeshifters. <laughs> I mean, we, you're talking about skinwalkers? Yeah, we have a few of those for sure. No problem. Travis, thank you so much for coming and sitting thank down. You. You're thank, welcome. Well, thank you for letting me realize I have weird beliefs. <laughs> no, you know what, though? But that's part of what we're doing here on the podcast is we're trying to decode these things, right? We're trying to pull apart different experiences, right? Because these are all these things that we don't really know. Mm-hmm. So that's why we sit down, we talk about them, and we trying to code the mystery. So thanks so much for being on the Mysteries Decoded podcast. Thank you for having me. John E.L. Tenney has been researching the paranormal and occult for more than 30 years. We sat and talked about his fascinating origin story, as well as his own personal UFO sightings and the cases that he has investigated that have truly changed the game for him. Guys, this isn't a meteor. I'm John Tenney. I've researched paranormal, supernatural, occult, and conspiratorial phenomena for 30 years. And I never did well with people telling me how or what I should think about. So over the years, I found that those aspects of our world, ghosts, UFOs, Bigfoot, conspiracy theory, magic, witchcraft, the occult, all of those things you're not supposed to think about are the things that I've always wanted to investigate and research and think about, and I think everybody else should think about. Can you talk a little bit about how did you get started in this? I assume that one day you didn't just wake up and go, I'm going to devote my life to investigating the paranormal, but maybe you did. No, I am not one of those people who was abducted as a child or lived in a haunted house. None of that. I was a punk rock kid in Detroit, and I didn't like people telling me what I could and couldn't think about. 
So when I was in school and reading a UFO book or a Bigfoot book or a ghost book and, and one of the teachers would tell me it's dumb and it's not real, that just meant that that was something I was supposed to be reading. And so I would I don't suggest this to anybody, but for me it worked, which was I skipped school a lot, but I was bad at skipping school because I would skip my classes and go to the public library in my hometown because I was bad at skipping school. You were, get, you were getting the <laughs> education you wanted, not the education they wanted to give you. Exactly. And I would read volumes and volumes and volumes of books at the library, and eventually I met a researcher, a, a history teacher in Detroit, who specialized in political assassinations of the 1960s and 70s. He taught me how to deal with the government, how to file paperwork, how to do Freedom of Information Act requests, uh, how to present myself and my material and data, how to compile and collect materials and data. And I thought I would just probably end up, by this time I was like 17, I thought I would just be a history teacher. That's kind of looked like where I was headed. And when I was 18, I actually had a heart attack, just kind of a freak Thing. It happens sometimes to 18-year-olds. And I died. And I was dead for three and a half minutes. And they obviously got me back. After I recovered from that experience, I thought to myself, well, maybe I want to take all of the skills that I have in research and use those and try and apply those to figure out what just happened to me when I died and what I seemed to experience when I died. And so then I started researching ghosts. And before I knew it, ghosts led me to aliens and UFOs, and the rest is history. If I may, and if you'd like to share, with your NDE, was it unicorns and butterflies and rainbows, or was it something different? So with death experiences, there's usually three experiences that are the most commonly discussed, which are one is the tunnel of light and puppies and balloons. Like you were saying earlier, it's very positive and happy. Uh, that's why it gets talked about a lot. The second one is a kind of out-of-body experience where a person is floating on a ceiling. They're watching the doctors work on them. They're outside of their body, standing next to the ambulance. That's, again, probably the second most common. I have what is the third most common and usually the least talked about, which is called a null or a void experience. Uh, it's difficult to talk about because there's nothing there, so it doesn't contain words. But it's, I went from living in this world to existing in nothing. My first reaction was to scream, but then I realized I didn't have a mouth anymore or hands to cover my mouth. Plus, how could a voice move through nothing? There's no wind or waves to push it. And then you realize that there's no time there, so you're there forever. It's quite terrifying. That sounds terrifying. Yes. Whoa. Alone for eternity, you're the only thing in eternity. The only Eternity is just you forever, alone. Uh, you're the only thing in it. And it, it is it is quite frightening. Uh, it does last forever. It sounds strange that I'm talking to you right now after forever. But <laughs> there came a moment in that nothingness where I became a thought. And the thought was simply everything. And when I became that thought, I opened my eyes and was alive again. Wow. That, how do you recover from that? I mean, that is because here's the thing. Like, It takes a long time. Right. Because, I mean, if you are, I don't know, of the ages we are now, that's going to be a lot. But you're 18 years old and suddenly every existential philosophy, like everything is all being answered in these two minutes. 
I'll, I'll tell you the funniest, if there can be a funny part to dying, I have a funny story about dying, which is, so I died, I recovered, I'm in the hospital, they send me home, and people who have death experiences sometimes experience PTSD, which I sure. did. So I moved actually back in with my parents, and I, I did not leave my parents' house for six months. Uh, I did never even went on the front porch, nothing. I just couldn't leave the house. I had this overwhelming anxiety, paranoia, fear of life, even though I was alive again. Finally, I got up the courage and the ability to walk down the street back to the corner that I used to hang out on with my friends before this experience had happened. So I was like, I'm going to go and see my friends for the first time in, at this point, seven months. So I walked back to this corner where my friends would gather and still did. And I didn't realize that no one had seen me for seven months. And the last thing that they had heard was that I had died. Oh, no. So I'm very happy. I see them three or four blocks ahead of me. And I'm so excited to see my friends for the first time in seven months. And I'm about a block away. And I call out to them. And you have never seen people scream and run in every direction, so viscerally and real. I had literally come back from the dead. They thought that I was dead for seven months, and here I am walking down the street. I've finally regained my composure. Now I see my friends who I love screaming and running away from me. I scream. I ran back to my parents' house, and I didn't leave for about another two weeks. Wow. I believe now more than ever. So, John, with UFOs, I know that sometimes at conventions you do sky watches with people. What UFO experiences have you personally had? So the first strange object, the first UFO that I ever saw, I was working midnights and I went out behind the building on a break and I looked up at the sky and very clear night and a big bright moon and I saw something and the first thing that went through my brain was, oh, there's someone's flying a kite. Just and midnight kite flying? Midnight kite flying. And then a few minutes later, I noticed that it was still moving in this kind of weird straight line. It was moving somewhat fast. And I thought to myself, oh, it's a weird that bird is moving really quickly. And then a couple seconds later, I go, that plane isn't making any noise. And then right at that moment is when it kind of disappeared over the tops of the buildings. And I realized that I had been looking at this dark black triangular object with kind of illuminated orange globes underneath it. And I thought to myself, holy crap, I just saw a UFO. Like I've been talking by, at that point, I had been doing lectures on UFOs for like five or six years. And I was looking right at one. And the last thing that I was thinking about was, is that a UFO? Right. And it, it was the craziest moment. And then of course, I, you know, I ran down the street and I'm trying to find it in the sky and it's gone. It's those are the experiences, right? They they go away. And I'm running around, I'm like, I saw UFO, I saw UFO. And everybody's all calm down, calm down. I'm like, no, I really saw one. And it was only kind of later that I learned that it's a very frequent phenomenon that people who see UFOs, it's almost as if there's a mental block put up so that you don't freak out. Something is so radically strange that's happening. It's as your mind can't comprehend it. So I'm thinking back on the experience and I'm like, why couldn't I think of a UFO? I couldn't think of a UFO because I was seeing a UFO. I still love the fact that the first thought was, wow, look at that kite. Midnight kite flying. I mean, it was. I, I worked midnight shift. It was probably closer to two or three o'clock in the morning. I think that should be the name of your biography. 
<laughs> Midnight Kite Flying, the John E.L. Tenney story. And then uh, the most recent uh, strange experience I've had with a UFO is a, f- a friend of mine and I were driving to a convention. We were going through Michigan's Upper Peninsula, and I saw a strange light, and I asked him to pull the car over, which he didn't want to do because, again, it was about 1130, 12 o'clock at night. And we were in very rural northern Michigan. And he was like, I don't want to pull this over if that's a UFO. He's like, I don't want anything happening to us. I said, it'll be fine. So he pulled over and and he and I watched three very brightly illuminated objects kind of dance around in the sky with each other. And he was almost panicking and freaking out. And he was like, what is that? And I said, these are UFOs. I don't know why we're seeing them right now. And And he said, do you really think they're UFOs? And here's a little tip and trick that I tell people. If you really want to freak yourself out, and I told him this in the moment, I said, we're going to check and see if they're UFOs. And I looked at the objects, and I thought to them, are you UFOs? Are you aliens? I just thought that. I sent out like a little mental telepathy to these objects. And the majority of the time that I've told people to do this and they've done it, those objects stopped moving off in the distance, they turned, and they flew directly over our heads. And then what? he jumped back in the car and he said, get in the car, we got to get out of here. And we jumped in the car and got back out. It's, I know that we're talking about strange stuff, and I love talking about strange stuff, and I love talking about weird stuff. But I really do think talking to experiencers, talking to abductees, talking to contactees, if you see a UFO and it's late at night, Try and make telepathic communication with them. Ask them if they're a UFO. Ask them if they're an alien. And I can almost guarantee that the object that you're seeing will fly over the top of your head. It's really odd. And the first time I actually learned this from an older UFO guy back in the late 90s, he was the first one who was like, they will hear your thoughts. And I was like, this is absolutely crazy. And so I've only had two moments where I could try it out seeing actual what I think are actual UFOs. And both times I've done it, they've flown over the top of my head. And as I've told people over the years to do this, I can't tell you how many emails and conversations I've had with literally hundreds, perhaps thousands of people who have said, I asked them if they were aliens and UFOs, and they stopped the direction they were going, and they turned and flew over the top of my head. You're telling me you're an alien? I know it sounds crazy. Is there an abduction story or an abduction case that you've worked on that really changed, if not investigation style, but a case that you've worked on that really changed the way you thought about abduction stories? Yeah, it's slightly convoluted to put it in the quickest way possible. I had a husband and wife who were experiencing abduction phenomena, and they were convinced that the aliens were going to impregnate his wife with a family member who had died earlier. The husband, when he was young, had lost a brother. Years go by, he ends up meeting his wife, they get married, and they start to become abducted. And in the abduction processes, the aliens explain, if you allow us to keep abducting you and experimenting on you, we will recreate your lost brother. And so they allowed experimentation to go on with them. And eventually the aliens said, we're done experimenting on you. Your wife is going to become pregnant and she will give birth to your brother who died 30 years ago. And she got pregnant and they were never abducted again. And he has a son now that looks very much like his brother. 
How did that change the game for you? <laughs> it changed the game for me because I realized that it it wasn't just we're going to pull people out of the sky and uh, do experiments on them. There was this exchange that was happening that was very deep and personal with the abductees. And when they came to me and they were having some difficulty just with the abduction phenomena itself, they would get really scared sometimes. It was almost as if they would forget that they had been abducted during the abductions and, and freak out. And that's when they kind of reached out to me. And there were just so many different levels and layers to this abduction experience. The fact that the aliens somehow or another claimed to have the DNA from his brother who had died 30 years earlier. The fact that uh, they were asking for permission to abduct these people. Uh, there were just so many strange aspects to the story. And then how quickly it stopped. Uh, as soon as the wife became pregnant, that was it. They don't want to talk about aliens anymore. Thanks for your time. And we're going to move on with our lives. And it just radically shaped and shifted how I think about the abduction phenomena because for so long it had just been horror stories of greys abducting people and, you know, sticking needles in their eyes and 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 probing them. Yeah, that is a that's a powerful story and it's a powerful paradigm shift. And also I think it's interesting on so many levels. <laughs> like I'm I'm really processing that story. But I think that here are folks that once it was done for them, they just said, like, we're good. We don't need your services anymore. Yeah. They didn't turn it into, oh, my gosh, let's take this story to the news and let's take it to social media and make it this big thing. Yeah. So thinking about the story you just told, we got a Twitter question in regards to people being healed by abductions. At SD Moonwishes says, I've heard stories of abductees that were healed from serious health problems. How common is that in abductions, and have you ever interviewed someone who has made that claim? So that story I told about the husband and the wife, the wife couldn't give birth to children, and she was healed. She was pregnant by the end of their abduction scenarios. So that had happened in that case. They had been told that they weren't going to have children by doctors, that she was incapable of having children. And at the end of that case, she was pregnant. So something had changed. They had, they had healed her, in a sense. And it's it's somewhat frequent. You will hear uh, different people. The majority of time, it's so deeply personal that it's hard to get out of people if you're interviewing them. And I don't really like to push people into those aspects of their story, uh, their personal health. It comes up, of course, during the interviews with them. But sometimes it's so radically life-changing because there are instances where people have gone into remission. So they've made a conscious decision when they find out that they're going to die. And then they have this very weird situation that in, seems to include extraterrestrials and UFOs and their disease is cured. And then they have to kind of reconcile that. That becomes very difficult for people to talk about, but it does happen. So John, as we finish up, what do you want people to think about in regards to UFOs or the world of the paranormal in general? There is an archetypal journey. There is a journey that we all have to make, the long, dark night of the soul, where we have to go down in those dark places. And when we come back, we're much stronger. Uh, for me, I mean, I was 18. I literally went to a place of darkness and then was kind of reborn out of it. And whether we're talking about aliens or ghosts, creatures, gremlins, detrimental robots, Darrow that live inside of the earth, whether they're real or not doesn't matter. I think it's the journey is the most important point. So 
If it's safe, say yes. Go look for a UFO. Go look for Bigfoot. Try and find a ghost. Find a friend that's a splunker and go caving. Do something weird. Engage with the universe. It's only ever shown us that it wants to change and grow and become something new. And I think that's a really good example for people. John E.L. Tenney, thank you so much for joining us today on the Mysteries Decoded podcast. It has been a pleasure. My pleasure. Ryan Sprague is a returning guest from both the Area 51 and Roswell episodes of the Mysteries Decoded television show. He and I sat and talked about full disclosure, Bob Lazar, and some very intense and interesting UFO cases. I'm continuing the search for the truth. We have Mysteries Decoded TV show co-host and the host of the Somewhere in the Skies podcast. This is Somewhere in the Skies with Ryan Sprague. Ryan Sprague, thank you so much for being on the Mysteries Decoded podcast with us today. Thank you, Darcy. It's so exciting to be here, to know that Mysteries Decoded has its own podcast. Now, um, I'm honored and I'm uh, I'm super excited to be here. So let's let's do it. So, Ryan, on the Roswell episode of Mysteries Decoded, you tell the story of your UFO experience as a teenager. Since that incident at 12 years old, have you seen any other UFOs? I've seen one other object that I cannot explain. I'll put it that way. Uh, that was actually here in uh, New York City. And, you know, I, I live near LaGuardia Airport, so I see millions of flights come in and out every day. Uh, I even have an app where you can, like, pull up every single flight that's above you. And it's just like, it's ridiculous. So whenever I see something in the sky in New York City, I assume it's a plane. But there was one night I was heading home from work and I looked up over my street and it was actually a clear night for once. And I saw this like orange light just kind of floating through the air. And I'm like, hmm, I, that's not what I'm used to. It wasn't blinking. It was sort of pulsating and it was kind of hauling butt. I'm not going to lie. It was moving pretty fast. Like maybe it's a satellite or something. And I'm telling you right when I thought maybe it's a satellite, this thing shot up into the air and disappeared. It looked like it was literally reacting to me seeing it. So that was a little freaky. That, that's the only other time I can really say I saw something that I could not readily explain. Thinking about knowing everything. So what are your feelings, Ryan, on the idea of full disclosure? I don't think it's ever going to happen, <laughs> to be completely honest. Um, I've had a lot of people ask me that, and it's sobering to think about it. Like, will the government ever tell us UFOs exist? They already have. <laughs> I keep telling people this has happened at least twice in my lifetime where the government has acknowledged that UFOs exist. We do not know what they are but they do not pose a threat to us. And that's where I have a problem because you look at like these recent stories coming out with Navy pilots reporting UFOs and that these things like, you know, zipped past their aircraft and easily could have outmaneuvered them, shot them down um, or just straight up put them in danger. So I think UFOs do pose some sort of threat to us, but yeah, it's, it's tough. It's tough when it comes to the government, you know, telling us that UFOs exist, because I think for every person who's seen one, that's enough disclosure. And while there are some people who say a UFO is enough disclosure for them, there are also people out there who want to blow this wide open. Thinking about whistleblowers and people telling their story, 
What do you think about Bob Lazar and his story? Bob Lazar is a very uh, interesting individual when it comes to the UFO topic. He'd always been in the peripheral of my research growing up. I knew that this guy claimed to have worked at Area 51. He is the reason we know about Area 51. He claimed to have worked there. And that was huge. Back in the 80s when he came forward, uh, we knew very little about this installation in Nevada. And when this guy came forward and said he was working on crashed UFOs and reverse engineering the technology, people started to listen. And it was a really interesting time. And, you know, just like everything else in our world, things start to fade and people forget. And he's now very vocal again about having done what he said he did. And I... I sort of remain where I did so long ago when he came forward in the 80s. I believe Bob Lazar worked at an installation known as Area 51, or to be more specific, S4, a few miles south of Area 51. And I believe that he saw what he says he saw there and worked on what he says he worked on. Can you imagine 30,000 people advancing on that barricade? It's so surreal. So you've been to the gates of Area 51. I know that you did that on the show with Jan or or kind of as close as possible to the gates of Area 51. (laughs) Were you part of the great raid on Area 51 on September 20th of 2019? Uh, No, unfortunately not. I was not able to attend that. It's so funny. We'd, um, We'd been to the gates literally like a month before that happened. So... Once we, we'd sort of already wrapped filming and everything once that occurred, I was so, so tempted to go back out there for it. But, um, you know, life gets in the way sometimes, even of these these grand conspiracies that we want to uncover. Um, life doesn't stop for those things sometimes. So I did miss Storm Area 51, but I was on my phone texting every person there being like, what's going on? What's going on? So I I had a little of the inside scoop of what was happening. Now, for you, is there someplace international you have a deep desire to go and check out? Yes, there is um, probably one of my most favorite UFO cases of all time. Uh, the Rendlesham Forest incident. Are you familiar with this one at all? No, please tell me about this. Yeah. So this happened in 1980 in Suffolk, England, and there were two joint military bases, RAF Woodbridge, RAF Bentwaters, and they were comprised of both British and U.S. soldiers. And we were there to help, you know, this was during the Cold War where anything was possible and we wanted to be ready to help if anything happened. So you've got these two joint military bases and they're separated by this thick, dense forest called Rendlesham. And in December of 1980, Right at Christmas time, actually, some military officers said that they had seen strange lights over the base. So immediately, you know, the base is kind of put on security alert that there might be a threat over the base. Uh, we should probably check this out. It's being caught on radar and everything. So they send out some officers to check out what these lights are. One of the officers says he saw one of the lights land in the forest. So now... There is something out in the woods that they got to go look for. So they go out there, him and a couple other guys, and they see in the middle of the forest a solid triangular-shaped craft just there, just chilling. And they go up to it, 
and they can't see pilots. They can't see any, you know, it wasn't a downed aircraft. This wasn't a crash per se. And they said there were strange symbols all over this thing. And it kind of, uh, it was electrifying everything around them. The hair on their arms was standing up. They said that their shadows literally got pulled into this thing. Crazy, crazy stuff. So they say that this craft shot up into the sky and disappeared after they were looking at it. And then for three consecutive nights, UFO activity was seen and happening over this base. The deputy base commander of the base went out to investigate it. He brought a audio recorder with him and... There is over 18 minutes, which you can find in public domain, of this base commander play-by-play saying that he was seeing a UFO and they could not explain what it was. And it's pretty scary when you actually listen to these audio tapes. It's insane to me that this case hasn't gotten more press, more coverage, but um, most of the witnesses are still alive and we have to take advantage of that. So we start saving and we get over to England because I have family there we can stay with. We can totally work this out. I think she was murdered by an alien. As a ufologist, what is one of the stories that you have heard from someone, someone's experience, that you really, really, really want to be true? There's a case in Michigan that I investigated maybe about seven years ago now where a mother she she contacted me and I heard about her case from several other people but until I actually spoke to her I was kind of on the fence about like oh it sounds interesting I guess so she comes to me and she tells me that she was walking her dogs one night and uh the dogs would not leave the porch of the home, and they've never really done that before. So she's like, what's going on? What's going on? They clearly were scared or hesitant of something. So she leaves them on the porch. She goes out into the front yard. She's like, maybe there's someone out there. Like, maybe I should check this out. And she's looking around, nothing, nothing, nothing. She looks up, and there is a massive triangular UFO hovering above her. Silent, no noise. Three white lights, weird red light in the middle, just hovering there. And she can't, she literally can't believe her eyes. So she yells for her daughter to come outside to corroborate that this this was happening. Daughter comes outside and sure enough, she looks up and she sees it. So they're both looking up at this triangular UFO and the mother starts to feel this sense of calmness, this like euphoric feeling and it's amazing she feels peace she feels love and she says it's it's so quiet i can't believe it's not making any noise this is so amazing and she looks over at her daughter and her daughter is like crouched in the fetal position on the ground covering her ears in her head saying how unbearably loud the object is and that she thought it was there to kill them so right there you have completely different perceptions of the same event happening in real time of what what is going on here is this thing like messing with people's perception of how it's being viewed or or uh, experienced and that was incredible enough the ufo sighting you know the thing darts off and disappears but the other daughter that she had two daughters uh, a few weeks later she gets out of bed to use the restroom 
she's in the hallway and she sees a figure, little small figure in the hallway. She thinks maybe it's her sister. It is not. The being turns around and it's a small gray being hooded. It's got like a a robe on and it's just looking at her and she is petrified. She runs into her room. She puts her sheets over her head and she's just saying, please go away. Please go away. Please go away. All of a sudden, the covers come down and her mother is standing there in the room with her. She's like, honey, what's wrong? I heard you come in and out of the room and everything. She's like, what's going on? And the daughter was so scared she couldn't say anything. And while the mom is like trying to console her, the being in the hooded robe is in the room surveying everything, kind of just checking things out. So the daughter's looking at the being, the mom is trying to console her, and then the mom finally says, good night, get some sleep, leaves the room, and that being follows the mom out of the room. A week later, the power in their house goes out. This is the case I mentioned earlier where poltergeist activity was experienced. Things were flying off the shelves. The power was going out intermittently, and they send out an electrician, and as the electrician's trying to fix the electricity, a huge triangular craft comes over the house again, and this guy sees it, and he just gets out of Dodge and leaves. It's like, F this. I'm not dealing with this. I'll send somebody else. So you have this just slew of activity happening to this family, and it really tore them apart, to be honest. It was very stressful for them. The daughters wanted to forget about it while the mom wanted to figure it out and embrace it and uh, tore them apart. Eventually, they came together. They found that prayer was the answer for them, their spirituality, their faith, to sort of figure this stuff out. And hey, if that's going to be what gets you through it, like all the power to you. To go back to your original question, do I wish it was real? Yes, in some respects, but in some I just wish this family could could move on with their lives, to be honest. But I hear what you're saying, and I agree. Like, here's this family going through this traumatic set of events that, as you said, is tearing them apart. And yes, in some regards, you want it to be true. I would imagine also because, like, why would you put your family through something so traumatic if it's not real? Right. Yeah, but it's aliens. Aliens. Aliens! Let's get into some of the questions from the Twitterverse. Yes. At Bus1978 asks, Do you think the Roswell incident will ever be disclosed and have all investigative avenues been exhausted? No and no. (laughs) I don't think we're ever truly going to know because any firsthand witness to that event is long gone. And that's extremely unfortunate. And the cover-up, in a way, I think did win when it comes to what actually happened there. But when you have a new generation of people still willing to go out and investigate, like Jennifer and I did, and people even younger than us now knowing about the Roswell case, it's never going to go away. It's the most famous UFO case of all time. And look, there are new ways we can look at things. I mean, we we went to an aerospace lab to get stuff analyzed. They couldn't do that 20, 30 years ago to to look at, like, things that people said they found in the desert in Roswell. So, like, I think it's exciting to know that there are younger people out there who we can tell about Roswell and then can build off of the research that's already been done. So is every avenue exhausted? No, absolutely not. 
at Cinema Centuries asks, where are areas one through 50? <laughs> That's a really good question. Um, well, I will give a little history lesson when it comes to what Area 51 represents. I'll, I'll be brief. These were designations on a map by the uh, Atomic Commission back in the day when they were looking for places to to put like sites where we could test atomic weapons or um, whatever high-tech classified aircraft were being developed. So they literally cordoned it off on a map in the desert of this is area one, this is area two. So those do exist, actually. Areas one through 51 and even further. Area 51 just happens to be the section where this guy, Bob Lazar, said he worked on top secret UFO materials. So, yeah. They're out there. They're in that desert. Just be careful if anyone goes out there. I do have to say there's two gates to Area 51, but they are not as well marked as people think. And if you cross those barriers, they will arrest you. They will find you or they will shoot you. So if you do go out there to look through areas one through 52, let's say, uh, just be careful. That's all I can say. I think that's really good advice. (laughs) It's really good advice. Public service announcement. Do not get shot. The more you know. (laughs) Ryan, thank you so much for joining us today on the Mysteries Decoded podcast to talk about UFOs and aliens and Area 51. I've had a great time. I hope you have as well. Absolutely. This was so exciting to like reminisce about what we did on Mysteries Decoded and to like give my personal thoughts on UFOs. So thank you for this amazing opportunity. I'm honored. Thank you for listening to the Mysteries Decoded podcast. I hope you enjoyed decoding UFOs and Area 51 with us. And I look forward to you joining us next time to decode our next mystery. The Mysteries Decoded podcast is brought to you by the CW Podcast Network and is hosted and produced by me, Darcy Staniforth. Our executive producer is Jen Titus. Our audio engineer is Joel Smith. Our editor and audio producer is Joshua Sterling Manley. 